Coming up next on The Voice of Alabama Politics, our special guest is Secretary of Labor, Fitzgerald Washington. Also, the V-Team takes a look at new prisons. And Coach Nick Saban is leading on racial justice. A leader on the field and off the field. That's the Alabama way. All this and much, much more coming up next on The V. where we tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt, and today I'm joined by Josh Moon, investigative reporter and columnist at APR, and my constant companion, Susan Britt, research guru extraordinaire and compost uh, expertise, expert now. Hey, it's more complicated than it sounds. Obviously, compost. Government and politics, Josh, is not enough. she got to make her own poop. <laughs> well, I, I, I listen, I get emails a lot telling me I'm a compost expert as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you one thing. I've written this several times. When Matt Hart left the Attorney General's office as the head of the Special Prosecutions Unit, that was the end of any meaningful prosecution for campaign finance mm -hmm. violations or ethics violations. State Senator, uh, Democrat State Senator David Burkett resigned on Tuesday from his office as Senator, and then he was arrested on Wednesday. And Josh, he got a slap on the wrist from Steve Marshall and the so-called Special Prosecutions Unit. Yeah, there were, uh, to say that there were a, more than a few people disappointed, uh, and, and I don't think disappointed is, is probably a strong enough word, who, who worked yeah. on this uh, case over the course of the last two years is, is an understatement, uh, because uh, there were some there were some pretty serious allegations uh, against David Burkett stretching back to uh, his time on the city council in Montgomery and the way he used his discretionary funds and the way a lot of those funds uh, went to certain businesses and charities uh, that, uh, you know, he was associated with or friends of his was associated with. And, and I can tell you this, I can tell you that the ethics commission referred ethics charges, not yeah, uh, a campaign violation, not campaign finance violation, not one exactly. misdemeanor. They referred felony ethics charges for prosecution. Right. Several of them. And really all they charged him with was a class A misdemeanor of uh, misusing some uh, a little more than $3,000. And there was, there was tens of thousands of dollars that looked at the time when the Ethics Commission investigated this like it was some real serious issues, but Susan, they let him basically They let him go, and I, I do understand that probably he wouldn't be able to stand trial in the mental capacity he's in right now after that stroke, 
but my goodness, I mean, we've got tens of thousands of dollars going to these charities and whatever that just happen to be run by his sister or his wife or whatever, and the P.O. box or the, the a physical address was actually an abandoned house. I mean, how much more do you need to understand these felonies? Yeah, I, well, you know, I, I just think that, um, yeah, I, I do believe that probably his health played some role in, in this, uh, you know, and I believe that will be used, as, you know, as an excuse for, for what happened or you know, the ultimate charges. But I also believe that, uh, you know, there, there are some people who think that this thing could have been handled with the same result of him not going to, going to trial, him not going to jail, uh, but with more serious charges in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it is obvious that Steve Marshall's office does not want to prosecute anyone but low-level criminal offenses, and they certainly do not want to prosecute Republicans. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I want to move on here. Governor Kay Ivey's administration this week announced, or this past week, announced the, the, the two companies that will build the three mega prisons mm-hmm. and their locations. Uh, the company... Core Civic, we know a lot about. They have a, uh, a good reputation in some areas and a very spotty reputation in others. They'll be building two of the three facilities. And then Alabama Prison Transformation Partners, Josh, is one that we know very little about. From our internal investigations, it's Star America, uh, B.L. Hubbard, Harbert, uh, International and a few others, but you know when it came time to look at those companies, we requested information on who made up those companies. And right. This is a couple of years ago. Right. And the Ivy administration sent us over to the Department of Corrections, mm-hmm. and they were supposed to give us that information. They went, no, 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 right? Susan? Because it was written in was it the RFP? Yeah. I think it was written in the RFP that the the, the names of these companies could not be revealed until they got the contract, well, which we thought was really, really suspicious. Yeah, yeah. Now, and I'm, I'm still, still not sure it's I'm not. I'm not oh, sure. Listen, guys, it's just $2 billion. I mean, we got that, yeah. you know, no problem yeah. at all. Now, uh, they get to build one, Core Civic gets to build two. Yeah, I mean, again, we just want to know the facts. I mean, uh, again, for years and years, APR has uh, pushed back against the spending of the money on these prisons because the Bentley administration only had a plan to spend a billion dollars. They didn't have a plan on how to spend a billion It was dollars. just being given Robert Bentley a blank check for that amount of money, which nobody trusted him. No, so, but the thing is, Josh, and I know you have some problems with how this is being done and a lot of folks do, the, this is the only way we're ever going to get new prisons because you cannot get the legislature to agree on where they go what to build or anything else. So Ivy is just taking the bull by the horn and saying, I'm building them. You don't like it? Try to stop me. Yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Uh, but I do have a problem with if you're going to take that stance that you need to do it that way, uh, not being as open and as transparent as you can possibly be. If you're going to be the single figurehead leading this charge and you're, it's all going to come through the governor's office or ADOC, then... Y'all better be as open as you can possibly be with this, and that's not what's taking place here. We we don't know anything about the people for the most part that are building these prisons. We don't know, you know, we, we didn't know until yesterday the general location of where they're going to be or anything right. else. And I think that if and I think there's a reason for that. I think if you laid out uh, the basis of this plan 
for in front of most Alabama voters, they're going to have a problem with it. And, and I think that's a that that's going to be an issue for them going forward. Now, you know, I think Kiabi is probably popular enough to withstand a lot of that. Uh, but uh, you know, I, and my other biggest problem here is this: you, you've got a you've got a problems in the prisons that are not based on the facilities themselves. Your, your right. biggest problems are guards and mental health care and health care overall. And you're not addressing any of those issues right out of the gate. Well, they do say that, and again, this is all yet to be proven, they do say that this will allow them to do a better job. Uh, again, always the proof is going to be in the doing. But we're going to have to hold it right there. We'll get back to this issue. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. We'll be right back. The Port of Mobile is a crucial commerce center for the entire state of Alabama. Activities with our shippers generated over $490 million in tax revenue for the state. We've generated 135,000 jobs by having a competitive seaport within cost-effective reach. Thanks to the state's leadership, Alabama's only seaport is being modernized to ensure that we are continually competing on a global scale. For more information, contact the Alabama State Port Authority at asdd.com. Today, we are at war with an invisible enemy. Not that long ago, families across Alabama helped America turn the tide in World War II. Some joined the front lines in combat, while others led the fight on the home front. Those sacrifices helped our nation win the war and go on to define the greatest generation. Now. We must answer today's call. By comparison, our sacrifice is small, but each of us can do our part. Mask up, Alabama. Hey man, what are you doing today? Um, playing the game. Thought I'd go out for a drive later, maybe. Text some friends while I'm doing it. Scroll through social media. Kill a family four and a head on collision. Cool, man. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest today is the Secretary of Labor of Alabama, Fitzgerald Washington. Mr. Secretary, welcome. Thank you for having me. You have perhaps had one of the most challenging jobs in the state of Alabama since the pandemic broke out with massive unemployment, tens of thousands of Alabamians out of work through no fault of their own, and y'all have done a stellar job uh, in our estimation and in others' estimation. Mm -hmm. If you could share with our viewers how the Department of Labor has handled the high demand of unemployment claims due to COVID-19. It's been a challenge to say the least. When you consider in 2019, Alabama was coming off the best year in both economic and workforce development in state's history. The unemployment rate was at the lowest in state's history at 2.7%. And then more people had jobs than ever before at 22 million people had jobs. Then you fast forward into 2020, and Alabama, like other states, got hit with the tsunami. 
Yeah. Now, comparisons during the 2008 recession, the agency had a the agency had a total of 250 employees that work in the unemployment claims call center. Since the 2008 recession, the economy improved, and there was this thinking around the nation that, wow, if anybody had a job, they can get one. So why do you need an unemployment claims call center? And so the Fed, since that period of time, underfunded the unemployment claims division. So fast forward into March 2020, that staff was actually whittled down to 40 just due to underfunding and cuts to, to our agency. So since the pandemic, I mean, there's been over 500,000 claims filed in the last five months. I am oh, proud really? to say that, I am proud to say that, you know, since the pandemic, we've paid out over five, I'm sorry, we've already paid out over $3 billion in claims. That's more claims we paid out in the last seven years combined. <coughs> wow. 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 That's taken a lot of hard work with fewer people than you've had in the past. What improvements has the agency actually implemented to deal with the massive influx of claims? Because you, you had to be innovative, I know that. Yeah, I mean, we had to do something. As I mentioned, um, we had a staff afforded when we rolled into March of 2020, and we figured out we needed to do something. So the first thing we did was that we established an in-person call center where we were one of the first states in the country to do so. We knew it was difficult for people to have one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations uh, with our personnel in, in Montgomery. And so we established this, again, this one, this uh, call center for in-person um, consultation. We also hired uh, two outside call center vendors, one group to handle the initial calls and the other group with, which had higher, a higher level of UI experience and knowledge of Alabama law just to kind of handle some of the technical issues with claims. We also developed a online claims tracker, which allows claimants to track their claims from the moment they file a claim until the benefits are paid. And also, the, the claims track also provides update with important information about the claims. And then finally, we established an appointment system where claimants can set up an appointment on our website to have in-person appointments with one of our staff staffers to settle, again, some of those uh, technical claims. And again, this in-person call center service, this was a voluntary service because people were having difficulty trying to reach us. One of the things that uh, we we have noticed is that it has taken a, a, a really a big education uh, effort to get people to understand you know the claims have to be filled out properly uh, or they get red flagged folks that have have normally wouldn't qualify now uh, under state law are now qualified under the cares act and and that people have to call in every week and, and certify that they are still unemployed. I mean, that's been an educational process, hasn't it? It has, and I am proud to say that 90% uh, of the claims that have been filed since the pandemic, we've actually paid people under the three programs underneath the CARES Act. That 10% is what we're trying to reach the goal on. And that 10% is sort of broke down in a couple of different uh, groups. There's issues with claims. When, when a person files a claim, a lot of time the information is not entered in correctly. So we certainly suggest people to file their claims online, but you gotta have import, that important information in front of you, like the correct, uh, you, the, the correct uh, spelling of your name, obviously, your date of birth, social security number, and your bank routing information. Typically, <laughs> if you go, typically, if you go online to file your claim, it takes about 10 minutes. But if right. you don't enter that information in correctly, it uh, forces you to have a conversation with us, and we know that's difficult. Yeah. 
Well, that's it's uh, that's something that we've noticed, and and you know we've talked to folks, and they're like, uh, you know, that one of the things they had to learn was just the basics. I mean, we've looked at it, and it's pretty simple, but it's easy enough, Susan, for people not even to know what a tracking or, or, or a routing a number. routing number is. Yes. I mean, not everybody even knows what their routing number <coughs> is. Uh, Susan, you had a question here. Yeah, I know. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about fraud nationwide. Uh, How is Alabama handling an increase in possible fraud and the unemployment claims? Yeah, that's a good question. And since uh, USDOL relaxed a lot of rules for us to uh, expedite, expedite payments, you know, we've experienced uh, an increase in fraudulent claims. ADOL has taken the lead with partnering with federal and state agencies to help develop strategies on how to uh, combat fraud. We've also enhanced our website to provide more guidance on reporting identity theft. We've also created a fraud portal, uh, which can be found on our website to make it easier for individuals to report fraud. And so those are just some of the steps that we've taken to make it easier for people to uh, report uh, fraudulent claims. You know, I, I, you and I have spoken uh, a few times lately, and one of the things that uh, I've observed is that you give a lot of credit to your staff and when I've talked to the governor's office and the chief of staff there they give a lot of credit to your staff I mean your folks have worked awfully hard to 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 do their job in a very difficult situation yeah and again Alabama like uh, other states nationally um, this was this hit us like a, a tsunami one of the things that we struggle with is that the guidance that we've been getting from the federal government on how we administer administer these programs has come slowly. And so it's almost like I can compare it to, let's just say if I was a school bus driver and I was responsible for picking up the kids to get them to school on time. And what if the system didn't give me the keys to drive the bus? So oh, that's, a, that's been real difficult for us to, <coughs> to make sure we expedite those payments when the guidance comes a little bit slower. Right. Well, again, we want to thank you and your staff for your service to the state. And I know at this critical time, people need their money and they, they, they appreciate it, I'm sure, when they get paid. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Secretary. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. We'll be right back with more news and opinion. A lot can change in five years. Except those smile lines you treated with Bellafill. Because that's about how long Bellafill will keep them smooth and filled. Five years. Now you can always look your best without all those injections, appointments, and costs. Bellafill is the only dermal filler that stimulates and maintains collagen growth long term. Now time is on your side. fishing. Of course, none of us will be wearing our seat belts. I'll lose control of the truck, wrap it around a tree, and kill us all. 
Okay. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Susan, we saw something monumental, I would say historical. Uh, Coach Nick Saban mm -hmm. and other coaches at the University of Alabama marched with their athletes and ended up at the very door where George Wallace once stood to keep mm -hmm. black students from entering the University of Alabama. And Nick Saban stood there with his, his athletes, many of them black, and basically said, we stand against racial injustice mm -hmm. and for equality. It was a great moment. What a shining star and what courage and leadership he's shown doing this. I mean, it made my heart flutter when I saw the videos of it. Just spectacular. Shut up. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> uh, Nick Saban. Hey, she's an Alabama fan. Alabama what are you going to do? Right? What are you going to do? You'll get your moment. Uh, I, I think it was. Nick Saban can rarely make my heart flutter. Uh, it can make my blood boil sometimes, but uh, but no, you're right. He, and I have said, uh, you know, uh, Saban has been has been tremendous in this, and he is uh, honestly, uh, in, in all fairness, it, whenever Saban starts discussing uh, social justice issues uh, or really social ills of any kind, he's one of the most thoughtful uh, and well-spoken people about those things, uh, and yeah. because he has a pretty unique perspective, uh, you know, you got to give Gus Malzahn some credit as well. Uh, he, he did absolutely march back in June. He's led with his team. He uh, he's been there. You know, the players all say he's been great. Uh, Alan Green, who's the AD there, uh, produced a video, said that, you know, he, he wouldn't have done it uh, without the encouragement of Gus Malzahn. So I'll give him yeah. credit, too. But, you know, Saban is obviously the brighter star here because he's, you know, the greatest college football coach probably in history. Uh, and, and for him to be out front leading what he's done here and to be such a figurehead in this state, you know, I think it's raised uh, the issue with a lot of people that wouldn't ordinarily be reached uh, because he can speak so authoritatively on this issue because he's yep. in and out of so many homes of so many young black yep. men yep. Uh, around yep. the state and around the southeast. You know, that he's got a perspective that you don't hear from very much. Which I should say is a reason why I'm so disappointed in Tommy Tuberville and the stances that he's taken because he has similar experiences that he could lean yeah. on and has chose to go the exact opposite way. Yeah, and, right. and it is You're very right. it is very disappointing that uh, Coach Tuberville would take that that stance there. Uh, but again, he's a, he's now trying to be a politician and not a leader. No. Uh, there's a difference. And he's from Florida. At, we get it. Who lives in Florida? But you can't hold that against him. But the thing is, again, sorry, it slipped out. Coach Saban, Coach Malzahn, they are examples of what's good about Alabama mm -hmm. and what's good about college and athletics in general. That they understand and see the problems, and the nation is changing on that. This idea of taking a knee that basically ruined uh, uh, lives and, and, you know, has become almost universally accepted as a form of political protest. Yeah, and, and you're right. And I'll tell you what, it's a, what, and Colin Kaepernick can speak to, to having his life ruined over that. Uh, yeah. and, and really, you know, with all these people screaming, you know, we want a peaceful protest. Where were you when he was doing that? 
Um, but I'll tell you what the, what the Saban and Malzahn thing speaks to most of all. It's that those uh, people who have personal experiences uh, with, with young black men, uh, especially, and, and the yeah. way that those experiences change the people who meet them. Uh, you know, I don't yeah. think they would feel that way necessarily unless they were around there and talking to them all, on a daily basis and listening to those guys and what they go through uh, and yeah. how genuine they are in those problems and how they have, you know, Nick Saban even talked about that, about, you know, listening to his guys and having a better perspective on what life is yeah. for them day in and day out. And, and I yeah. think that's that, that's a big change for everybody who says, hey, we're not, you know, we, we don't believe there's a problem. Go talk to some people and listen to their genuine concerns for them. And these are stars in their community sure. and, and at their schools. These are these are mm -hmm. young men who have, you know, risen above, uh, you know, pretty much everybody in the town because of their athletic prowess. But they still suffer the same injustice they do. that other folks do. Unfortunately. Uh, another thorny subject, you know, and, and you know, we're going to get an email saying that we're all a bunch of liberals up here because we actually care about people and we care about injustice. That does not make you liberal or conservative. It makes you a decent human being. Uh, there was a federal court order this week uh, that came out of Montgomery that said there would be a hybrid monitoring now, from now on, or from now in the foreseeable future, of the mental health uh, facilities and treatment at the state prisons because of systematic, decades-old neglect of prisoners with mental health issues, Susan. Yes, and our reporter, Eddie Burkhalter, has been revealing a lot of this and a lot of articles about suicides and crazy things that are going on inside the prisons. I'm so glad that someone is finally paying attention is actually going to make them buckle down and do something about this. Josh, long history of litigation in this area, and if, if, if we didn't have a federal courts coming in, there's no telling what would be going on in our state prisons. No, it's hard to imagine them being worse than they are, but I, I think we could get there. Uh, we've certainly pushed the envelope on how, work, how on how bad they could possibly be, and, and you know this has been going on since the 70s. Uh, you know, this yeah. thing first started in I think 72, and uh, went went up until the 80s when we got things cleared up for a period of about five years, and then uh, we're right back into it. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, Myron Thompson, a federal judge in, in Montgomery, has been a, a thorn, a real thorn in their side. But the, he's forced some cleanup uh, of this. Yeah. And listen, if you read through, if you think there's not a problem, I would just challenge you to read through the transcripts of some of those hearings and things that have taken place in this case and listen to the atrocious things that have occurred inside the walls mm -hmm. of our prisons here. And then remind yourself repeatedly as you're reading it that we're talking about a prison in the United States of America. Uh, I mean, it is right. it's some of the most horrible, gut-wrenching things that you could imagine going on in those things. Uh, and, and the blind eye that's been turned to this thing by a lot of state leaders over a long period of time is pretty shameful. And, you know, we hear the lock them up and throw away the key. The Constitution of the United States of America does not permit us to lock people up and throw away the key. No. Because we have specifically in our founding said that cruel and unusual punishment for any crime is not acceptable in the United States of America. We're gonna have to leave it right there. You've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. You watch us because we watch them. <laughs>